Welcome back, guys, to the AAPI Army Campaign 2021. We are kicking off this week, week two of nine, with the first in our Survivor Stories. Now, today's Survivor, super special, incredible person, and she's got a lot to say about boundaries and familial abuse and family members. Her story is pretty incredible. It's actually the first time an interview has made me cry while I was while I was doing it. Yeah, I connected to it that much. It's pretty awesome. And this interview really inspired me to take a good look back at my own story and draw connections that I saw between us and that I began seeing in other AAPI survivor stories. Because understanding these connections is a really good first step in combating the abuse and its perpetuation through generations. Such as, I'll give you an example. Something that became clear as this campaign came together was just how normalized emotional abuse from my family was. I mean, other kinds of abuse too, but we'll get into that later, don't worry. But let's start with emotional abuse. Usually the first sign domestic violence is going to occur or occurring alongside other forms. Because emotional abuse tends to be a little more subtle in nature and because it's not typically what we talk about when we talk about domestic violence, it's a bit harder to recognize, to pick out as being, aha, violence is happening. We tend to think about the physical abuse between a man and a woman versus emotional abuse between family members and relationships, as an example, right? However, these factors can help allow it to perpetuate the subtler nature as one plus in API families where emotional abuse does occur, it can be perpetuated and reinforced simultaneously by multiple family members. There isn't just one main person. It can be kind of like one person, you know, insults and criticizes and gaslights you and everyone else around jumps in on the gaslighting train, right? Gaslighting station, toot toot. And this results in it being normalized. I mean, it makes sense when you're growing up, if everyone is gaslighting, you get gaslighting, you get gaslighting, everyone's doing the gaslighting, right? You're gonna be like, oh, this is fine. That is your normal. I mean, why would you question it, right? Certainly what happened to me. Especially the refusal to set boundaries, because, you know, with some Asian families, it's uh, not uncommon that anything goes. There are no boundaries. And there's also this, you know, kind of refusal to respect your boundaries when you finally try and set them. But here's a really fun example. One Thanksgiving, I think I was like my first year in college. So I was like, I think 18 or 19, still really young. My virginity became a running joke with my Asian family. Like everyone who was there, grandparents, aunts, uncles, everyone. As in, oh, hey, Ariel, are you still a virgin? <laughs> hey, Ariel, how about today? Still a virgin today? How about now? Oh, yeah, um, you'd think this would be like a giant do not cross sign because that is just, I mean, boundaries, people, that is so inappropriate. My sexual life is like none of your business. But again, in some Asian families, anything goes, yippee. Oh, and also at the time I knew that if I told them to stop, it would make things worse. They'd be like, Psh, why, why should we stop? And they would poke back and get defensive or, you know, jump aboard the gaslighting station train. Yeah, hindsight has really revealed just how 
flagrantly boundaries were just thrown out the window and also how strong my internalized sense of, yeah, they're going to ignore me, that it was just the easiest thing to go with the flow. Oh, there was also the first time my family met my then boyfriend, now husband, and like literally the second thing they said to him was like, hey, Ariel's new partner, isn't Ariel like so dumb and unattractive and like awful human being? Like they literally said this. I asked my husband to confirm the details to make sure I wasn't exaggerating it. And when I asked him, he actually responded by saying, wait, which time was this again? You know, implying that of course it happened more than once, but again, it was so normalized to me, I just only recall the one time it happened. Growing up was a constant slew of this, of criticisms and put-downs, comparison, cross-boundaries, emotional abuse. And even worse, because of this emotional abuse, it took years before I began setting boundaries and demanding, yet not asking, demanding people, don't put me down in front of others. And you know, some people were so offended that they would stop talking to me because of this. And it was also a long while into my process of healing before I stopped mimicking this behavior myself. If you're wondering, Ariel, why are you giving us this background? Subtle foreshadowing for our first survivor story. And also many survivors I talked to have similar crossovers. Just putting, have it in your mind, okay? Anyways, real quick, before we dive into Goldie's story, Quick reminder, we are hosting a giveaway for rules on how to enter on our social media at EA Discussion on Instagram and on Facebook, the emotional discussion for all the rules and info and whatnot on the giveaway and our campaign in general. Also, as a reminder, each week's episode will be uploaded on our website, theemotionalabusediscussion.com. So if podcasts aren't your thing, you can read all about it hot off the press. All right, business concluded and welcome Goldie. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here because, oh my God, this is a story we, we need. It is so important for everyone out there who is tuning in for our special month. So can you please start just by telling us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and then we'll just kind of dive headfirst into your story. Yeah, my name is Goldie Limbaugh. I am a 41-year-old mother of four. 10 years ago, I started Jingle Jam 10K, which is a nonprofit organization in Augusta, Georgia that raises money for domestic violence, education, and awareness. I'm also a first-generation Filipino-American immigrant. I was actually born in Manila. And then my family immigrated to Hawaii when I was about, I think, 20 months, maybe two when my father joined the U.S. Navy. So my father, my Filipino father served in the U.S. Navy for 24 years. And I grew up in America because of it. Don't you mean America? America. I grew up in America. So that's kind of why I don't have an accent. Um, So a lot of, because my name is Goldie, people will meet me or people will talk to me on the phone and expect me to be this white blonde lady. And then they meet me and I am full Filipino. I've got the flat nose, the almond shaped eyes, the thick black hair, the olive skin. And they're like, oh, you are not what I pictured you to be. 
Or if I meet someone for the first time, sometimes they'll say things like, I don't, I don't know if you've ever gotten this. You speak English really well. Or wow, you don't have an accent. Yeah. Or or the my favorite is, why don't you have the Philippine accent? I've never gotten the accent one, but seriously, the yeah. where are you from? No, where are you really from? Classic. I've had guys. Or what are you? Yeah, that, what, that's what I get what in the south. What are you? What are you? Classic pickup lines like, "Hey, girl, what are you?" It's like, really, you can at least try mm-hmm. harder. I'm oh, five two, but I'm, uh, a, I'm a Virgo. <laughs> I'm a Scorpio. So. <laughs> Just so you listeners know, Goldie here has a gorgeous jawline that could cut you if you try and mess with her. Wow. Oh, dear. <laughs> cut glass with that jawline. I love my it. Jawline. Gorgeous jawline. Yeah. So, so because my yeah, because my father was in the Navy, we lived in Hawaii, California. They were stationed in Japan for a while. Um, <clears throat> growing up Filipino in America. Um, I think it's safe to say for a lot of first and generate first and second generation Filipino Americans that there is a huge culture clash. There's a huge like the way things are done in the Philippines are not the way things are done in America at all, especially when it comes to the expectations of children's behavior and what is acceptable behavior from parents because I mean you and I were talking before we even went live there there's no boundaries when it comes to parents and disciplining their children and no one in the Philippines thinks about what is okay to say or do to your child is this this discipline or is this form of discipline harmful or beneficial nobody stops to think about all that Um, I remember, I remember my mother never telling me I was pretty, ever. Compliments from my mother almost never happened. Um, And I don't know if she wanted to keep me humble. I'm, I'm naturally a gregarious, outgoing over the top, everything I do has to be, I mean, you've seen my Instagram, like everything I do are Christmas cards, my 40th birthday prom, Malaya Sweet 16, Jingle Jam 10K, the way I manage the gym, everything I do is 10 out of 10 over the top and growing up and having those tendencies and having that personality my mother, because that's not the Filipino way. The Filipino way is not to stand out. The Filipino way is not to blaze your own trail. The Filipino way is not to be outspoken. It's to follow the crowd, go to CCD and church every Sunday and go to confession and don't rock the boat and be modest and be humble and don't brag about yourself. And everything about me went against the grain. So there was this huge conflict between me and my mother, almost from when I was a child. And because she didn't know what to do with me, like I was the child that she had no idea what to do anything about. Because if she complimented me or encouraged me, then I would just grow bigger in my ego, bigger in my personality, bigger in my tendencies. And her being super Filipino from the Philippines did not want that. 
So she would gaslight me a lot. She would put me down in very passive aggressive ways. Well, why can't you be like your cousin or people are going to think you're a slut if you dress like that. Um, she would tell me all the, she did tell me once that I would be pretty if my nose was pointy. And then when I started having children, she started saying, Oh, I hope Malaya's nose is pointy. And I finally had to put my foot down with the birth of my first child that you are not going to talk about the way my children look and their appearance. You're not allowed to talk about their body. You're not allowed to talk about their face. Um, mom, because I was who I was growing up and mom was who she was, who she was trying to raise me. There was not neglect in the sense of a mother purposefully neglecting their children, but it was more of, I'm just going to avoid her. <laughs> I'm just going to let her play all the sports that she wants. I'm just going to let her do what she wants in school. I'm going to let her hang out with her friends because the less I have to deal with her, the less stress I have. And with my father being in the Navy, shocker, she had a lot of free time and developed a gambling problem, which most Asian American first generation parents, even some second generation parents, either adopted gambling as a pastime and then it became an addiction or gambling was just always around at the Filipino parties or at weddings and funerals. I mean, literally they would be playing mahjong or cards at funerals. Yes, And that's just such an Asian thing, right? Like I say, well, they would play, it's such an Asian thing. Like when I say, well, they were playing mahjong at whatever's funeral and people are like, like white people are like, why would they play mahjong at a funeral? Like, because that's just what we do. That's what we do. Come on, Mahjong. Just what we did. Classic. Freaking classic. Yeah. yeah. So mom had developed this gambling problem. I remember on weekends, we would go to one of her friend's house and my brother and I would just literally be at this person's house for the entire weekend while mom played cards from like Friday to Sunday. And then we would finally go home. It was bananas. And I still can't believe nothing happened to me and my brother. Mom would take us to like a casino in Las Vegas and then leave us in the nickel arcade. <laughs> I'm shocked we never, but this was like in the nineties, you know, like I'm shocked we never got kidnapped, but nothing ever happened to us. I think your nose is beautiful. I think it's very funny oh. that your mom wanted your nose to be different. My mom, when I was a baby, she- I mean, cleaned, look at it. Your nose is gorgeous. But my mom it's, cleaned them when I was a baby. It's so be, Filipino. It's gorgeous. It's so, it couldn't be more Filipino. It's, okay. And I don't have any hangups about my nose or my appearance anymore, but I did for a really long time. So it's wide. <laughs> so it takes, it's like half my, the middle of my face. And then it's completely flat. <laughs> It's gorgeous. I mean, it's got me laid a couple times, so. No, I, I think you're you're absolutely gorgeous. Something, what is it with Asian mothers and our appearances? My mom would actually, she told me she would actually pinch my nose to shape it when I was my mom. My mom said that she would, like when my daughter was born, she, she was like, you need to do this. And I was like, if it oh didn't work with me, what makes you think it's going to work with her? 
Holy. Like those boundaries. Like I finally, I remember having Roscoe, my son, and there is an eight year age difference between my daughter and my son, because my daughter was with my first husband, who was my abuser. And then I married my current husband and then we have a son. So I remember Roscoe, my son being born and then my mother coming to visit. And she meant it as a compliment, but she would always make comments about my body for some reason. She, I remember she was coming in the house and I, I had just had my son. And she came in and she said, oh, it looks like you're losing the baby weight already. Good. Mm. That's, the fir- that's the first fucking thing you say to me. The first fucking thing you say to me after I gave birth to your grandson is about my body. That was your first comment. And then she would always say things like, oh, Malay is getting boobs or your hips are getting bigger. She just... And I I remember being around her sisters for a long time and her sisters would make comments about my body and each other's body. So maybe that's cultural within Filipino culture. I'm not sure, but I finally had to put my foot down and say, you're not allowed to talk about my body anymore. Oh, I'm just, I just said, you lost weight. I don't give a shit what you said. My body, you do not have permission to comment on my body. But because she's Filipino and she doesn't have boundaries, she didn't think that I was serious. And also because I'm her child, I'm not allowed to give her rules. This, that's a big thing in Filipino culture, that no matter how old I become, how responsible I am, how mature I am, because she's my mother and she's my parent, I can't give her rules and boundaries. And it's at the point now where you're no longer speaking, correct? No, we had a... Unfortunately, we had a huge falling out two years ago, June, 2019. I actually, I took my parents to Europe on vacation. I paid for everything. Um, They joined me, my daughter and my son. We went to London and Paris because my parents don't know how to respect boundaries. My, we spent the entire day at Versailles. We were in Paris. We spent the entire day in Versailles and my son fell asleep on the bus back to the hotel and he had been playing. I mean, Versailles has these huge grounds and this water feature and we rode bikes around the property. My son was playing in the dirt. So he got dirty, fell asleep on the bus. I carried him back to the hotel and just like dropped him in the bed because that was the night of our final night in Paris. And then everybody was going to fly home. And so my daughter and I start getting ready and I thought my mom and dad were getting ready. And my dad was like, Roscoe's dirty. Like Filipinos have this thing about being clean all the time. I was never allowed to be dirty growing up. I was never allowed to play in the rain. I was never allowed to play the slime. And my kids are dirty all summer, barefoot all summer. Like my, I let my kids play in the rain. I let my kids play with slime. I let my kids have sidewalk chalk and do all the things I was never allowed to do. I wasn't allowed to play with Play-Doh in the house because they didn't want it to get into the carpet. I mean, there was a lot of things I missed growing up just because my mom didn't want to mess because she didn't want to have to clean it up. Um, So my son is dirty as hell on the bed. And my dad is making a big deal out of it because he's Filipino, because 
this boy is dirty and I got to give him a bath right fucking now. So I, my dad's like Goldie, he's dirty. I'm like, it's fine. He's exhausted. I mean, this was a 10 day trip in Europe. My five-year-old son is exhausted and he kept pushing and he kept pushing. And I finally said, just leave him alone. So then I walk into the bathroom, which is separate from the hotel room suite. And I hear my son scream and cry. And my daughter comes to get me. I walk out into the other bathroom and my son is naked and crying on the floor. And I said, just like this, I said, dad, what are you doing? And he starts yelling, he's dirty and he's making your bed dirty and he needs a bath and you're not giving him a bath. And I was like, oh my God, I told you not to give him a bath. I told you to let him sleep. But because they're fucking Filipino, because I'm Filipino, they don't think they have to respect me as a parent, as an adult, because they're my parents. So they know more and better than me no matter what, no matter how old I am, no matter how mature I am, no matter how many kids I have, no matter how many houses I own. So then my dad and I get into a confrontation about him not respecting my parental authority. My mother, who wasn't even part of the conversation, comes in and says, see, we don't know why your husband stays with you. Was there any reason for my mother to say that, no. Was there any reason to bring up my husband in that moment? No, but because first-generation Filipino-American parents don't understand boundaries, what she did was reach into her arsenal on what she thought was the most hurtful thing she could say to me so that she could win the argument. And that has been her strategy with me my whole life. And she said that to me in front of my then 13-year-old daughter and my five-year-old son. And let me tell you, my 13-year-old daughter is not stupid. That girl's a badass. And as soon as my mother said that, she, <gasps> she audibly gasped and started crying. My daughter's an empath. And at 13, she understood how hurtful those words were from my mother. So my mother who had nothing to do with the argument. My husband had nothing to do with why my son was naked crying on the bathroom floor. My father, who just could not live with the fact that I'm letting my dirty ass son sleep on a bed. I mean, we're in a hotel. I could have easily called the front desk and said, hey, can somebody please come change my sheets? But made a big deal about something that wasn't a big deal, inserted herself into a conversation that she wasn't even a part of, and then said the most hurtful thing to me that she could possibly say. She tried to apologize to me once, but her apology was more like, she's, of course she's sobbing crying because she's the victim. And for the record, in the 41 years of my life, my mother has never apologized to me fucking anything for anything. My mother has never apologized to me. I remember when I won the Miss Augusta pageant in 2001, you know what she said to me when I called her when she was in Japan? What? I said, mom, I won. What? You weren't even the prettiest one there. 
I will never forget that. I, I will never forget the fact that when, when I married my husband and we decided that I was going to stop working and then stay home, and then my son was born, my mother and my father sent me the nastiest email about being unemployed, that my husband's not going to want me anymore if I'm useless at home spending money, that I need to get a job or my husband's going to leave me. Because why? Why would, why would you send me an, an email like that? I still have the email because I don't delete anything. They sent me an email like that because I wasn't living up to their Filipino expectations. That in their eyes, me quitting my job to stay home, I was being a failure. I was being a nothing. I was being useless. I am so sorry. I mean... Thank you. You have nothing to be sorry about. And if I sound angry, it's because I'm still angry. You know what? I am sick and tired of people saying that, oh, look on the bright side of things because there's so many more people who, no, 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 no. No, I want my mom. I hate that I don't have the kind of relationship with my mother that other fucking people have with their mother. And you deserve to be angry about that because what she did to you was not correct. That's just one example of her not respecting boundaries and being hurtful for the sake of being hurtful. She's been hurtful to me my whole life. She thinks by buying the kids things and, oh, look what I did for you. Just because you do nice things for someone doesn't mean give you permission to be abusive. And that permeates Asian culture. She's, we, we try, I tried to reconcile with her. And instead of, I said, you, you need to understand how hurtful what you said was to me, but you inserted yourself into a conversation that had nothing to do with you or my husband. And yet you said one of the most hurtful things you could say to your daughter. I would never say that to Malaya. And I said, so we need to figure out why you think it's okay to say things like that to me. And we need to fix this relationship. I offered to pay for family therapy. She lives a five hour drive away. I even said, I will drive down once a week and I will sit in a therapist's office with you. I will pay for it. I will go through all that. And she's not willing. She can't even apologize to me, Ariel. Her, her apologies are more like, when she did try to apologize, she was sobbing, crying, because of course she's a victim. And she said, I'm sorry for anything I've ever done to hurt you. I said, no, I don't want you to apologize for anything you've ever done that hurt me. Apologize to me for what happened in Paris. And then let's dig deeper and find out why this is happening. I miss my children's grandparents. I miss having a mom. My daughter's sweet 16 is coming. They won't be there. My husband planned a prom because I went to a private Christian school. We didn't have prom because dancing is from the devil. So my husband, it's true. <laughs> that needs to go on a t-shirt. Dancing is the devil. <laughs> do, you know why, do you know why Baptists don't dance? Because well, people think you're having sex standing up. I even named one of the twins after my mother. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she just, 
right now she's playing the victim, right? She's telling, she's told my family that she's apologized to me and I won't accept it. And that's not true. She hasn't apologized to me. The whole, I'm sorry for anything I've ever done. That's, that's so immature. Like I can't even deal with how immature that is. I remember my brother being at their house trying to get my mom to apologize and yelling and screaming and crying and being so frustrated because my mom kept saying things like, okay, I'm sorry, but you do this. Right. I did that when I was 16. Classic Asians. I did that when I was 16. Like she still treats me like that shithead 16 year old that she did not prepare for the real world. I didn't, I didn't become who I was. I didn't become who I am because of my mom. I came who I am. I became who I am in spite of her, in spite of her trying to suppress this personality that she didn't know what to do with. She did not know what to do with me. And I almost feel sorry for her that she gave birth to someone like me. I mean, this is a woman who um, um, my mom was born the third oldest of 10 children, because, you know, the Philippines is Catholic. Nobody believes in birth control. Before she started high school, her parents forced her to quit school. So her older brother and older sister could go to college. Her parents had to work to pay that tuition. So they forced my mom to drop out of high school to take care of her younger siblings. And in the Philippines, physical abuse as discipline, wildly accepted. In America, we have spanking. And in the South, we smack people upside the head. In the Philippines, kids get beaten with whatever items the parents can reach for, whether it's an extension cord, a two by four, um, a frying pan. I mean, you know, chanelas, my Latin friends call it chaclas. We call it chanelas. I mean, whatever we can get people were beat and beat a lot so much. They would scream in the Philippines. That's okay. And mom used to tell stories about not having dental care. So all her teeth fell out, having to take care of all her siblings so that when she finally did go back to high school, she was much older than everyone and didn't have any teeth. So she slept on dirt. I mean, my mother had a hard upbringing. I don't fault her for the sacrifices she made for us, but she came to America and worked the, and lived the American dream to the point that she was able to put me in private school. She was able to raise all her siblings, and then go to college at the University of the East where he, she met my father. My father joined the U.S. Navy instead of finishing law school because he knew if he was going to be an attorney in the Philippines, he would end up assassinated at some point. And then we moved to Hawaii. And in Hawaii, she taught herself how to drive. She got a job. She worked her way up as a financial analyst within the US government. Dad retired as a chief in the Navy. So they really did everything they could to give us a good life. But as far as raising us and the emotional abuse and the verbal abuse and the continued lack of boundaries and the continued gaslighting, 
that is what has ceased our relationship. And, and I still, I still to this day, send them emails that say, I love you. And I miss you. I'm still willing to pay for family therapy. Please let me know if you're willing to go with me because this is not what happened in Paris. What was said in Paris should have never happened that there, there's something wrong within this mother daughter relationship that she thinks that's okay. And it's really sad because sometimes I will hear my mom come out of my mouth to my kids. And then I have to go, Nope, I'm not doing this shit. I, 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 this cycle ends with me. And I can honest, I can honestly say after years of therapy that because of my emotionally abusive upbringing and the gaslighting that I experienced growing up is probably how I fell into a domestic violence situation with my first husband, because I was just just about to ask if we could as abusers. Yeah. Abusers don't abuse. Isn't well, one day they hit you (laughs) or one day they slap you. There's a saying at the domestic violence shelter here where I will sometimes go to events and speak on their behalf that victims are beat down before they're ever beat up. So what does that mean? Victims are beat down before they're ever beat up. There is this period or this phase of tearing the victim's self-esteem and self-worth down alienating the victim from their friends and family. So they only have the abuser. So once they finally get to that point and the physical violence finally starts, it's not really a big deal because their self-worth and self-esteem and their support system's gone. And I mean, that's exactly what happened with my abuser is I became, I became someone else under his, for lack of a better term, mind control and lost all my friends, Um, alienated me from my family. The only times I've ever been fired from a job was when I was with my abuser. Because when you're in that cycle of violence, you're things just aren't right. Like you're you're not performing well, you're not sleeping well, you're not eating well, you're not working well. And even after we divorced, I mean, my abuser was still verbally and physically abusive to the point that he blew up at me in public and I had to get a no contact order. That there were several witnesses and one of them even wrote an affidavit to the judge about how bad it was. And I was seven and a half months pregnant with my twins. And because I grew up with no boundaries, right? I grew up with a mother and a father who never respected my boundaries because I was their child. And in the Philippines, children don't get to have boundaries and privacy. I never learned how to have boundaries in my personal relationships, in my friendships, in my romantic relationships. So boundaries are something I had to learn later in life. I suffered a lot of people taking advantage of me. I suffered a lot of emotional and physical abuse because I never learned boundaries because my parents never taught me boundaries because I was never given boundaries. I was told I was not allowed to have boundaries. And that's tough. How did your parents react to you 
and your abuser when they found out? Were they supportive or did they bury it? They were extremely supportive. So their reactions were polar opposite. My mother was supportive, but angry that I let this happen to me because it was my fault. <laughs> like you let her abuse you all those years. Yeah. Right. Makes sense. Mom. My okay. father was supportive, but he was disappointed. I never reached out for help. And I remember him showing up and, and there are very few times in my life that I've seen my father cry. And I remember they showed up at my house and my friend was there to take me to the emergency room, but I didn't want to leave until somebody was home to watch Malaya, who was one and a half at the time. And he walked in the house and he pulled me aside and he said, how come you never told me? And, and just the tears, he said, you never told me. So their, their reactions were opposite even though they were both very supportive. And just seeing the hurt on his face. And I, knew, and I know that as a parent, you want to, regardless of your Filipino and you lack boundaries, you still feel the obligation of protecting your child. And as his daughter finally reporting the abuse and, and the abuse had been happening for years, and we met in 2003 and we divorced, you know, I, we got married in 2005, we divorced in 2009. So the verbal, emotional, physical abuse had been happening, but when it's happening, you don't want to tell anyone about it for fear of judgment or retaliation from your abuser. And I was married to this man. I had a child with this man. So what the fuck was I going to do? A pastor was just going to tell us to stay together, which past side note, Pastors as marriage counselors are shit. Okay. Pastors and priests acting as marriage counselors are just shit. Amen to that. So he, he just, I think in that moment, he realized that I had been dealing with this for four or five years, right under his nose. And he probably felt super guilty. He probably, you know, felt like it was his job to make sure it didn't happen, but it happens. So yeah, they were supportive. I'm glad. It's just, I have two observations here. It, one of which is just the tragedy of being raised by a family that set up the expectations of you can't go to them because you will be judged and shamed for acting out against yeah. their expectations for one, which sets you up to not tell more so than the already stigmatized, you know, position of being a survivor. But also I feel like your mom by blaming you in a way is trying to distance herself from her abuse because she almost sees her actions reflected back at her in a way, which is, and the fact that you still, love them so much I think is something I mean they're that, my parents yeah it is not lost on me the yeah. sacrifices they made to give us a life in America and as as Asian Americans there is an unspoken expectation of you to rise above your immigrant status 
and make your place in American society, but still retain your Asian-ness. Do you see what I'm saying? Like there, as an immigrant, you're expected to arrive to America, acclimate, succeed in the American system, make your place in the American system, and then let your Filipino-ness or Chinese-ness start permeating the parts of your American life. If you're not successful, then it's shameful. It's shameful that you were brought to this country and then you're not going to do anything with yourself. Yep. And so that's why my parents freaked the fuck out when I quit working. No, I'm not even joking because I went to college. I got a degree. I got married and now I'm not working. Mm -hmm. Now you're just not going to contribute to society. Now you're just going to stay at home, live, live on welfare. What are you doing? No, I'm going to stay home and be a mother. I'm going to work the household. So you're just not going to have a job. Like they, they just couldn't No, you're an immigrant. Like you came here to work. That was their whole philosophy. Well, if you don't work, your husband's going to leave you. No, actually this was his idea. (laughs) So he's not. Oh, are you doing okay? Well, the nice thing is you, I'm able to do this from home. So I already have a comfort level of, I'm able to tell my story from my house. Yeah. I already have a comfort level with you. And I don't think anything I do or say reflects badly on me or my family or my children. And I think these are things we have to talk about. We have to talk about the dirty, shitty things. We have to open up the wounds. We have to talk about the ugly side of Asian American culture and upbringing. Asian American cultures whether you're a fancy Asian up north, <laughs> like you, the Chinese, I'm so I'm so <laughs> or you're Southeastern, you know, what we nickname the jungle Asians, that all the cultures within itself are so beautiful. All the Asian cultures are very centered around family. All the Asian cultures have this rich tradition of food and costumes and dance. I mean, for for Cambodia and Thailand to be so close together and have very different dances and traditional costumes and different architectures. I mean, two years ago, we went to Thailand and Cambodia. And even though the people's physical features are are similar, the cultural differences were extremely easy to see and differentiate. And so there's a lot of beauty in these Asian American cultures but there's this underlying almost unspoken acceptance about using abuse to discipline your children, using abuse to control your wife, to control your husband, to control your kids, to control the people around you. And to me, that is not okay. Comparing your child to their cousins. Well, she got into nursing school. Why can't you? It's so detrimental to a a child's, your child's self-worth. Maybe she doesn't want to be a fucking nurse. Maybe that's why. And that's fine. That should be okay. And that's fine. She doesn't want to be a nurse. Not all Filipinos have to be nurses. Joe Coy. (laughs) Shit. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we 
end the interview? Just that Filipino Americans need to know that therapy is not shameful. I think there's still this misconception, especially among Asian American cultures, that seeking help for your mental health, the anxiety that you feel about not getting into grad school, it's somewhat normal, but the expectation your parents have put on you, that's not normal. Getting help for your depression because your self-esteem and self-worth were beaten away by your parents or your siblings or, or your grandmother. Some grandmas, some lolas, man, they can be mean as shit. I mean, I remember my mom would verbally abuse me and my Oh, my adorable Chinese grandma would be sitting there like nodding her head like yeah the gaslighting is real the gaslighting, gaslighting is, real. is real gaslighting is real like I said everything was always my fault mom never apologized for anything so yep getting help for your mental health is okay therapy is great it really is though. therapy is one of the things I look forward to every fucking week every week just because it helps me be a better wife. It helps me be a better boss. It helps me be a better mom. I'm, I'm now at the age where I know that I know I don't know anything. <gasps> That's uh, the past. I <laughs> now have this wonderful therapist that helps make sense of things in my life and helps me realize, okay, why did I react that way? Okay. It's because of this. And this I'm, I'm finding out that the years of my neglectful upbringing, my, the years of no boundaries, the years of gaslighting, I had all these triggers that would throw up all these defense mechanisms that I had no idea was even happening. And that's such, that's the key. Right. The key right there is learning what makes you tick and then having coping mechanisms. It's having healthy coping mechanisms because mm, sometimes you. you come up with coping mechanisms that you don't even know that you have mahjong <laughs> right mahjong gambling or yeah. I mean, we all have asian parents so therapy getting help for your mental health and verbalizing things that you know aren't right verbalizing things to your parents or to your family about no you're not allowed to talk about my body anymore so leaving you with boundaries are good and healthy. Therapy can literally be a lifesaver and you're and letting you know that your mental health is as important as your physical health. Those are the three things that I want to leave. Thank you. Thank you so much for being so brave and so candid and thank so you for inviting me to do this. I really am sorry it took forever, but let me tell you oh, it was shit. Because I cleared my afternoon for this. Oh my God, you're awesome. No, and <laughs> I just love how you were just so unafraid to feel what you're what you're feeling. We need to normalize people embracing being vulnerable. They have being vulnerable, being angry, being sad. There is beauty and vulnerability. And I think people are just so scared of rejection or judgment from other people. Like we live in an age where so, we're so worried about what other people think that vulnerability yeah. is now something that people don't even attempt anymore. And I try to teach my children that 
you know, the truth will set you free, whatever your truth is. And my 15 year old rainbow ballerina is living her truth. <gasps> rainbow punk ballerina. That could it be is a rainbow punk ballerina. I mean, she is. is just Malaya. Like she's her own person. She does her own thing. She dances ballet and point. She's super gay. She is super punk alternative rock multi-culti kind of thing like I just love her I just think she's the best and I wish I had her self-assuredness at 15 because she came out of the closet when she was 12 that's awesome what the fuck (gasps) maybe it's a sign you're doing things right I hope so I I hope I hope I do things right with these kids I fuck up a lot, but I hope, and I say fuck a lot. I, I fuck up a lot and I say fuck a lot. Me too. But I hope, I hope these kids turn out okay. And I hope they turn out okay because of me. I really love that interview. Goldie touched on so many things. Like she has so many one-liners that could be like whole deep dives all on their own. It's just like, ah, thank you so much, Goldie, for being so brave and sharing your story. Like, yeah, like she said, gaslighting is real. Mental health is okay. And therapy is great. And you know what? If you're someone who has dealt with neglectful emotionally abusive upbringing and you have all these like triggers that throw up your defense mechanisms hey you know it might be connected to some serious trauma and it's okay to seek help it is okay to come up with healthy coping mechanisms and it is so okay to say hey you are not allowed to cross boundaries that are in place for my health and like goldie was saying people are scared of rejection and judgment from other people. But, you know, I think if we're going to live as our true authentic selves and try and change the game for ourselves and other survivors, we have to say, yeah, we're, we're scared. What we're doing go- is going against the grain. What we're doing is something that hasn't been done because it's really hard, but in the end, it will be worth it. So thank you guys for sharing this amazing story with me. And just as a reminder, there's still a free giveaway item up for grabs on our social media. So follow us at EA Discussion on Instagram. We're also on Facebook, the Emotional Discussion. And this podcast will be uploaded in blog format to our website, theemotionalabusediscussion.com. If you want to write in, the email is thedvdiscussion at gmail.com plus all of our other channels, which I'm really trying to care about, trying so hard, show me some love there so I can care a bit more. We all have stories and they deserve to be heard. That is week two of our AAPA Army campaign 2021. I will see you next time. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at one 800 799-7233. You can also visit their website, thehotline.org. If you identify as an abuser or a word you might be an abuser, please call the hotline as well. They'll be able to help you. Please remember, you're not alone.